Westside family. My name is Eric Johnson, and I serve on the production team. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. Love you guys, and enjoy. So let me give you a couple Christmas dad jokes. Yeah, I'm not a funny guy, so I'll try to give you a little something funny before I get started in the work. What does the gingerbread man put on his bed? Cookie sheet. I like, I like this one right here. I'm just going to give you a total of three today, but I like this one. What is an elf's favorite kind of music? Rap music. Because they like to rap, right? Rap gives rap music. Yeah, I like that one. I like this one a lot, too. It's kind of demented, but I like it. I, I got a weird sense of humor. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I messed up a little bit. What do you call Frosty the Snowman in May? A puddle. <laughs> a puddle. He's just a puddle of snow. All right, there we go. There's, there's, there's some funnies for you this morning. Now let's get all serious, get into the work. I'm going to talk to you today about miracles. I'm not going to break down word, even though I'm going to definitely allude to the word. Not going to have a, a specific area of scripture that I'm going to read like I typically do. But we're going to be talking about miracles today. What's interesting uh, in scripture is when God does something at the beginning of, let's say, a, a new start something new. Not all the time, so can't be dogmatic, dogmatic about this. Not all the time, but oftentimes what he does in the beginning of something new really becomes a standard for the, for the future. And there becomes this purpose of it being replicated, being repeated. There's a few examples I have here. So in the beginning, in the start of the earth, God said, let there be a greater light, let there be a lesser light. That greater light and that lesser light was to be continued throughout history or life as we know it. Another thing is God created life forms in the very beginning, in the very beginning and there was a purpose for those life forms to replicate themselves. Plants replicate themselves. Animals replicate themselves. We as human beings, we replicate ourselves. God told Adam and Eve, the very first beings, human beings, to multiply and increase. In other words, to repeat themselves. After the great flood, uh, when the waters begin to... Uh, Rescind and Noah was able to come out of the boat. God told Noah and his family again to multiply, to replicate themselves. We jump over into the New Testament. We see that Jesus made disciples. And then Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples. This time at Christmas, one of the main things we do at Christmas, the giving of gifts, is really a repeat of St. Nicholas centuries ago. So St. Nick was, some say a monk, some say a bishop, 
He was a religious man, nonetheless, that would give gifts to the needy, give gifts to the poor. And that really is some of the roots of Christmas. So even this holiday that, that, that we celebrate every year, and it's such a big deal for us, it is also on repeat. So now we can go through scriptures, through the scripture, and we can see a lot of this, but the main thing I want us to recognize as we're getting to this is that when God's, that in the Bible, oftentimes, when God consistently did something in the beginning of something new, there was a plan and there was a purpose for that to be replicated, for that to be repeated. So when we examine the Bible Christmas story, we see the same thing, really. We see consistency that was not just a one-off experience, but was a plan and a purpose for God to do something on repeat in our lives. Because the biblical Christmas story really is a story of new beginnings. It's a story of God beginning to do something new in the land. There was the Old Testament, and then there was the silent period, and then all of a sudden we come to Christmas time. The Old Testament, God moved in a specific manner. Not everybody could experience the hand of God move in their life. It was done specifically in a certain way. Can I get someone who has a key to go unlock the front door? Someone just tried to come in and couldn't get in. I don't know. Somebody didn't unlock the church this morning, maybe. And now they're trying to get in over here. We don't make a... Let the people in the church. We can't keep them out of the house. Bring them in from the highways and the byways. Bless the Lord. I'm sorry. We want you guys in the house. All right, we want you in here. Thank you. Whoever... Whoever tried to keep you out is fired. They're done. No more. <laughs> no, nah, just kidding. We, we, we have some people missing today that normally does that. Nonetheless, the point that I'm making is the Christmas story really is about something new. And when you really examine the story, you see that God consistently did some things that he didn't intend to be a one-off. For instance, the first miracle was Elizabeth in her old age with a closed womb, could never have children, was never able to conceive, felt shame. God opened her womb and God gave her the first Christmas miracle. And she became uh, pregnant with John the Baptist. Then we move, immediately move into another birthing story. And that, that is Mary, the virgin, becoming pregnant and being with child Jesus. And so you have the first virgin birth in history. And it has never occurred again. So what we have in the very beginning of a Christmas story is God performing miracles. What we have is God starting and doing something new in a, 
and a new period in a new age because the Christmas story represents a new age. It was a change from an age of judgment and violence to an age of grace and mercy. And God started this new age with a miracle. And when you begin to look at what has occurred after the Christmas story, what you consistently will see is God performing miracles. So miracles started in the New Testament. And then you see miracles occurring with Jesus. And then you see miracles occurring with the apostles. And apostles, excuse me. And then you see miracles, or you read about miracles that has occurred through church history. And then if you get to know seasoned and mature and dedicated people of God, and you sit down and listen and hear their stories, you will also hear stories of miracles. And what I'm wanting to bring to our attention today, and what I'm hoping we can remember is that God still does miracles. That miracles wasn't just stories from the Old Testament. Miracles is not just a part of the Christmas story. Miracles isn't just about the Bible. Miracles isn't just about the forefathers of church history or or the Christian movement. But miracles is for us today. We are still in the age of grace and mercy. We are still in the new covenant. Jesus Christ hasn't split the clouds and he hasn't came back. That will change into the next age. So we are still in the age of grace and mercy. And God is not pushing out judgment at this moment. God is not condemning anybody at this moment. That judgment and that condemnation will come. And because we are in the age of grace and mercy, guess what is still applicable to our lives? Guess what we have favor to and the and the ability to have access to? The miracle working power of all Almighty God. You have access to miracles. You have access to the signs and the wonders of Almighty God. Now, when it comes to miracles, a lot of times there is some uh, common occurrences that is associated with miracles. Number one is acts of faith. So there's a story in in, in the Gospels about a Roman centurion. He had a servant that needed to be healed. And he went to Jesus and asked Jesus if Jesus would heal his servant. And Jesus was like, where is he? And the Roman centurion said, I don't need you to come where he's at. You're a man of authority. I'm a man of authority. I tell people what to do and they do it. I tell my servants what to do, and they do it. And then he said to Jesus, all I need you to do is just speak the word, and I know that my servant will be healed. And Jesus took a moment to express that he had never, now this is Jesus, he had never seen such faith. In a person. And Jesus 
told the Roman centurion to go home that his servant is healed. He had this faith in Jesus that if Jesus just said it, Jesus didn't have to come to his house. Jesus didn't have to pay him a visit. Jesus didn't have to spit on him. Jesus didn't have to pour oil on him. Jesus didn't have to do anything. All Jesus needed to do was just speak it. Now, when you dive into this, which we're not doing this today, it'll take a lot longer. But when you dive in today, that Roman centurion, this Gentile, not only believed in what everybody saw Jesus to do, he had so much faith in Jesus. He believed in the deity of Jesus. He believed in the authority of Jesus. He believed that Jesus was who he really said he was, and that is the Son of God. And he said, if you would just speak healing for my servant, then he will be healed. And it was attributed to that Roman centurion that Jesus, that he had more faith than Jesus had seen up to this point in his life. Let me ask you, when it comes to needs in your life, when it comes to circumstances that is too bigger, that is bigger than you are, do you really have the faith that would cause Jesus to look at you and say, I've never seen faith like yours? Or do you just operate in a hope? Or do you operate in a maybe? Or do you operate, operate in a, uh, I've been a good guy or a good girl, so I'm going to get a good miracle? Or do you have faith in the deity of Jesus? See, there was a difference. Some people had faith in that Jesus was a good teacher. Some people had faith that Jesus was a prophet. Some people had faith in Jesus, but they just didn't know who and what he really was. They just saw the miracles. But this Roman centurion, he had faith in the deity of Jesus. And the deity of Jesus, because he had faith in the deity of Jesus, the divine being of who Jesus was, he knew that if Jesus just simply spoke it, he would be healed. Another occurrence is acts of desperation. Sometimes we're not desperate enough, so we don't act out in desperation to receive what we need from God. So you have four men that had a buddy who was paralyzed. They wanted to get their buddy to Jesus. But where Jesus was at in a home was absolutely crowded. It was crowded with religious people. It was crowded with bystanders. It was crowded with followers. And what these four men did is they took this paralyzed man, put him on the roof. And if you read the text, it says that they dug. They dug through the roof. See, in order to keep roof, uh, the roofs uh, watertight back then, they had to cover the roof with pitch. And it was a type of tar made with mud. It was very hard. It was uh, watertight. In fact, when Moses' mother put Moses in a little ark, the Bible says that she covered it in pitch. When Noah, when Noah uh, built a boat, he had to cover it in pitch. Houses was covered in pitch. 
Sometimes in order to get to God, you got to dig through the pitch. You got to dig through hard stuff to get to where God is. And in order to get through hard stuff, sometimes you got to get desperate. Sometimes you got to work real hard. You can't expect just an easy thing to happen. And these four men, they dug real hard to get to where Jesus was. It was, they were desperate. I can honestly say to you, in my life, whether it be with myself or be with family members, we have always experienced God move when we carried out acts of desperation. Whether it be a desperate cry, a desperate gift, a desperate dedication, a desperate fast, whatever it was, whatever it might have been, I've always experienced God to move when there was desperation on my part. The next occurrence is acts of obedience. Naaman, this is the Old Testament. Naaman was a powerful man in the Old Testament. He wasn't a child of God. But even though he was powerful, he had leprosy. Long story short, he was sent to Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, to receive healing. Now, this being a powerful man, he expected a face-to-face encounter with Elisha. Elisha didn't give him a face-to-face encounter. Elisha said, go dip in the Jordan seven times. Naaman was offended because Elisha didn't come to him face-to-face. And then on top of that, Naaman considered the Jordan to be really dirty. And so Naaman says, whatever, I'm not going to go through this. He won't even come pay me a visit. He's sending me to a dirty river. I ain't having it. I'm going home. The Bible says that his servants stopped him and said to him, Naaman, if the man of God tells you to go dip in the river, what do you have to lose? Go dip in the river. And Naaman obeyed the words of Elisha, and guess what? He was healed from leprosy. And there is a principle here. Sometimes we don't get the miracle because we're not willing to obey God exactly the way he says to obey him. We think we need something more from God than what God is willing to give. We think we need to go to some other water than the water God is sending us to. Sometimes we think we need to go to another church when we just need to get busy in our own church. Sometimes we think we need to go read somebody else's book or listen to somebody else's message, but what we need to do is get in the good book and get a revelation from God. Sometimes we feel like we are entitled from a visit from God when God doesn't want want to visit us. He just wants us to obey his word. And here's the kicker. Elijah met up with Naaman after Naaman was healed and after Naaman obeyed. Sometimes God only visits after we obey the word and after we get the miracle. Oh, we want to hear God. We want to feel God. We want God to touch us. But are we willing to obey God? 
See, I, I personally feel that we don't have enough God in church because there's not enough people obeying God the way we should obey God. We're not willing to go to the waters that he's wanting us to go to because sometimes he sends us to dirty waters to experience the healing. Like sometimes he might send us to the street. Sometimes he might send us out in the no man's land. Sometimes he might send us in places to where we really don't want to be. We don't want to operate. Maybe we don't like the look of it. We don't like the smell of it. We don't like how we're treated. We don't like the attention. We don't get or we do get. So we're not willing to go to the place that God wants us to go to to experience his power. Hey, another place of water can be prayer. Maybe all we want to do is listen to pretty music because that's easy, but we're not willing to get on our hands and our knees and get in the face of God and go through the dying of our flesh when it comes to praying. Maybe sometimes we just want to give a few bucks here, but God says, give me your tithe. And there is a promise of a miracle associated with the, with the tithe. Maybe sometimes we just want to sit and be quiet, but the Holy Ghost is trying to say, praise me, praise me, praise me, because I inhabit the praises of my people. Maybe sometimes we just want to come to church once a month because that's what's comfortable for us, but the Holy Spirit really is saying, I want you in church on Sundays, Wednesdays, and all the special events because you need as much word, as much prayer, and as much fellowship as you can handle in your life because you need to get changed. Come on, are you breathing this morning? Like sometimes we need miracles, but we're not willing to get in the waters that God is saying dip in. Oh, and check this one out. Check this one out. I'm not, I didn't expect to preach like this this morning, but it's coming to me. Sometimes we just want to dip once. Maybe twice. We go to prayer meeting once. We go to all the church services one month. But God is requiring consistency. The Bible says those who diligently seek him will find him. Diligence is consistency. So when God tells us to do something, it's not about just doing it once. It's not about just doing it twice. It's not about doing it just when it feels good, looks good, sounds good, or anything good. But it's about being consistent, obeying what God is leading us to do. And when we find ourselves being more consistent, Consistent. Guess who also is more consistent? Why? Because there is an overlaying principle in life that God has created. You reap what you sow. So if you reap consistency, or excuse me, if you sow consistency with God, you will reap consistency with God. Don't expect to experience and encounter the supernatural power of God when you are not consistent in your prayer, in your praise, in your sacrifice, in your faith, in your desperation. God says those who hunger, hunger, hunger and thirst after me shall be filled or after righteousness shall be filled. Hunger is reoccurring, is it not? I had to go get some blood work done here a couple months ago, and they told me my protein was too low, that I need more protein. So I started eating more protein, eating a whole lot more meat, 
Started gaining a lot more weight. So that means I got to start lifting weights a lot more. And there's been a byproduct of all that. I'm always stinking hungry. I wake up, I'm hungry. 11 o'clock, I'm hungry. 1 o'clock, I'm hungry. And I, I, I'm drinking protein shakes. I'm eating steak. I'm eating chicken. I'm trying to stay away from the dirty carbs and the sugars. But I'm always hungry. Now, my point is this. Hunger is reoccurring. Thirst is reoccurring. You can be hungry in the morning and come noontime, you're going to be hungry then too. You eat something at noontime and here come 4 o'clock, you're going to be hungry then too. You can get real thirsty from a hot day and you can quench your thirst and give yourself about an hour if you're still working in the heat. Guess what? You're going to get thirsty again. So there's a, principle by, there's a principle behind the scriptures that says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. It's not about just being hungry for God when you are in the mood to eat. It's about a consistent hunger and thirst for God. And if you are consistent with God, God will be consistent with you. We just think, oh, if we just want God. I've heard that verse my whole ministry life, hunger and thirst after righteousness. But it's way more than just wanting God. There has to be this reoccurring, this consistent cry, this consistent hunger, this consistent thirst. And guess what? When you're hungry, priorities has a tendency to shift in your life. Right? Like you... You can be all about your business and all of a sudden let the hunger pain strike. You can handle it for a little bit, but then all of a sudden when you really get hungry, that job that you was on becomes secondary. That person you're chatting with, you come up with an excuse just to be nice but to get away from that chat. Because hunger in you changes priorities. And when you're hungry for God, like really hungry for God, and you're consistently hungry for God, guess what's going to change? Your priorities are going to change. You see, when God gives us a word in Scripture, there is always... A reason for that word and it has a domino effect there's always more to them there's more to the eye or the ear when it comes to God's word so you can hear that word those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled and there is truth to that but there is a deeper truth to that first level and that deeper truth is hunger and thirst is always con- a true hunger and a true thirst is consistent and a true Hunger and a true thirst will always change priorities. So when you really get hungry for God, what used to be important, it might, it, it's probably still important in your life. It's just not as important. That's not to say what happens is we become monks where we 
become dead to everything that we enjoy or everything that we like. Now, I'm not speaking in the context of sin. I'm just speaking in normal, natural likes and dislikes and desires we have in life. Typically, that doesn't change. Like, I like the outdoors. I like adventure. My love and desire for God has never changed that. Not once. But I can be honest with you. What has shifted priority is my hunger and thirst for him changed the priority of the desire I have for the things I like in my life. Does that make sense? I didn't mean to get on that rabbit trail, but I do believe it's from the Holy Spirit. So miracles is a byproduct. Faith, and this is not, you know, a, a total, an exhausted list. Just something to get you started. Faith, desperation, and obedience. Now also with miracles, there's the, there's the age-old question. Why did God not do such and such? Why did I not receive the miracle? Why did they not get healed? Why did they die? I'm just going to be very blunt with you. We do not have those kind of answers. There are times when God in his sovereignty will reveal to someone or a family why something happens the way it happens. But so oftentimes... When we pray and we believe and we do these things and the miracle doesn't occur, oftentimes we just don't have a straight answer. I cannot tell you how many times I stood before people with sickness or before people who had a loved one with a disease or who had passed away and I couldn't give, the, give them the answer why can search till I'm black and the blue in scripture and there's no direct answer oftentimes. Now we do know that there are some things that, that can be associated with why people don't receive miracles. But you can't take these things and place them on people. But it is worth mentioning so that we just have the knowledge of some reasons why miracles may not occur. One is can be sin. We, and we see this in scripture. Doubt. Like just not believing. Selfish motivation. Like wanting a miracle for selfish reasons. And some, sometimes miracles just don't happen because of unknown reasons. But we also know that miracles do happen. And we know that they do happen because of faith. We also know that they do happen for God to receive the glory. And we know that they happen for people to be saved. And we also know that they happen because someone is committed to tithing. Malachi teaches us that. 
There is a miracle that is, there is miracles promised to us in regards to our uh, financial well-being, in regards to our job and our career from tithing. Now, a lot of people don't want to hear that. But it's true, as the Bible says it. And then sometimes God does miracles for unknown reasons. Just why? I don't, don't know why. He just did it. Another common thing that I've experienced with people in life is when something bad happens that requires a miracle, the common reaction is to think the worst. Someone gets sick, oh, they're going to die. Someone acts a certain way, oh, I've been betrayed. And I want to encourage you to train your brain, your mind, not to immediately go to the worst case scenario, but to immediately go to, I have a miracle working father. A lot easier said than done. But you save yourself a lot of turmoil. You save yourself a lot of heartache. You save yourself a lot of worry. And what's really important when it comes to miracles is to believe God for the miracle, but at the same, same time, trust God with whatever the outcome is. So if you get your miracle, praise the Lord. If you don't get your miracle, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, trust or acknowledge the Lord. I stand before you today telling you I've experienced miracles, and I can stand before you today saying, that I've experienced God not doing miracles. And some of those things I know why, and some of those things I don't know why. But what I've learned on my journey of faith is whether my miracle occurs or it doesn't, God is still good. And he's worthy to be praised. And if he never does another good thing for me here on earth, the ultimate good is waiting to be happened. And that's me going to heaven and not going to hell. It's because of his son, Jesus Christ. We need to experience more miracles. The world needs us to experience more miracles. Our job is to believe in them, do what it takes to receive them, and get ready to tell the world when they do happen. There is a wonderful outcome of miracles. 
And that outcome is not just what we receive from the miracle. But it's the open heart and the open mind of believers and non-believers when they hear about your miracle. Amen? Miracles concrete your faith. They concrete my, you guys can come up, I'm basically done. Miracles will concrete your faith. I know they've concreted my faith. The stories from my dad, my granddad, my mom, my grandmother, Lorana's mom, they have concreted my faith. Because I trust them, and I believe what they say. The things I've experienced in my life with God, the supernatural, the miracles, they have concreted my faith. They've created a platform for me to share with people, for me to tell people, that, for me to preach from, to increase and encourage other people's faith. My push for you this morning, during this holiday season, which is really a season of miracles, It's to believe in them, be desperate enough to receive them, and be willing to obey God to experience them. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.